0: Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 for tonight. The message is entitled, The Works of God in Salvation. Keep in mind that Paul is still dealing with the wealth of the believer in chapter 2, as well as he will in chapter 3. goes from 1 to 3. He has declared the possession of the believer, focusing on the transaction of redemption in chapter 1. He is now declaring the position of the believer, focusing on the transition of salvation here in chapter two. We saw in verse one through three, his old life, dead and trespasses and sins. Four to ten, we're going to see the new life in Christ. Eleven through eighteen, the old citizenship. Nineteen through twenty two, the new citizenship. Chapter two gives us A beautiful picture of man's reconciliation to God as well as man. Now God has given the reason God will display His church in the ages to come in verses 8 and 9 as we saw last time. Salvation is a gift of God. He alone saves sinners. The manner is by grace. The means is through faith. And the memo is that any and all works are excluded prior to being saved in order to merit salvation, lest any person should boast as if they had earned it themselves. 8 and 9. That's why Jesus is going to display and bolster because he did it all. We are his trophy. It's all his doing. Paul now picks up on the word works, to deal with works that are a visible, tangible evidence of a person being saved. Let me read here 2.10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul desires for both Jew and Gentile, To know that the gift of salvation is the mere beginning of the work of God in salvation that continues throughout life and not an end in itself. And it's characterized by the three following things. First, the product of salvation, the first part of verse 10. Secondly, we have the purpose of salvation, the middle portion. And thirdly, the process of salvation, the last of it. The product, the purpose, and the process. He begins with the product. Listen to his words. For we are his workmanship. The apostle Paul confirms salvation to be a total work of God. Remember, verse 1 through 10 is a whole section. The word for introduces the reason or explanation for salvation being all of God. Just like the word for in verse 8, that introduced the reason God will display the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in the future ages to come. God is the initiator when we were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4 and 5 told us that. God is the transactor making us alive together with Christ, sitting us in the heavenly places with Christ Verse 5 and verse 6 of chapter 1 also told us. And God is the displayer of the ages to come in verse 7. And so Paul the Apostle, just as he's dealing with these Ephesians, he's just leading them one step at a time and just painting a picture of all our wealth in Christ Jesus. Salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith, as we said, and he alone can boast not any man. He makes that conclusion in verse 8 and 9, as we saw last time. The Greek grammar here also verifies salvation to be all of God. The Greek makes the word his emphatic, putting it in the beginning of the sentence. It's like when you speak to your son or your daughter and you are one of me. You, you listen to me. You, you, you put it up front. Literally, his, we are Workmanship. The plural pronoun here, we, refers to both Jew and Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. He's going to be leading us into that. The word workmanship, oima, means that which has been made. The only other time that it appears is for creation that God created in Romans one twenty. The context of our text here is the new creation of the sinner in salvation, of course. Psalm 103, 3 says, Know that the Lord Yahweh, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of His pasture. Somehow, at times, individuals come to conclude that, that, you know, God saved them, but they have something to do with because they aren't as bad as others. The Bible says, listen, Adam and Eve, how many sins did they commit to get booted out of the garden? One. And every person born after Adam and Eve were born with sin nature. That's enough. All fall short of the glory of God. Not one good, no, not one. Not even you. Or should I say, certainly not you. Notice the Apostle Paul affirmed that we belong to God. He is declaring that by salvation, we are his possession. We're called saints in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We are said to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in chapter 1, verse 3. We're predestined to adoption as sons in chapter 1, verse 5. We have been accepted in the beloved in chapter 1, verse 6. We have been redeemed through his blood and forgiven of our sins in Ephesians 1.7. We have obtained an inheritance in chapter 1 verse 11. All by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as First 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 says. Without that precious blood, none of this could be possible. I was speaking to an individual the other day, a couple of days ago, and he was um, saying that God saved him by his love. I said, no, God didn't save you by his love. God couldn't save you by his love. God can love you all he wants, but if you're a sinner, that's all he has to offer. He can't save you because God is holy. Now, his motivation for sending a son was his love. But what makes you available and one with God is that he killed his son in your place. He saved you through his death and his resurrection. The payment of sin is what saved you. Not his love. You as a parent can love your child. And if they don't want to do with you. And they're living a rebellious life. Your love can't change them. Your love hurts for them. But your love can't change them. For God's love, the motivation. That He gave His only begotten Son, the key is He gave His only begotten Son. There's the key. That you know God loves you doesn't save you. That's not evangelism. That God died for you to pay for your sins. That's evangelism. Because if you tell somebody God loves you, oh my, I love me too. Really? That's the generation we live in. Notice he is again declaring that we are his instruments to glorify God. In chapter 1, verse 6, uh, he said to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved to the praise of his glory. His. In chapter 1, verse 12, that we should first uh, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory when we believe it was to His glory. Chapter 1, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the purchase of the, uh, of the redemption of the person's possession to the praise of His glory. It's His glory, His praise, His glory, His praise. Nobody else. In Revelation 4 and 5, they cast their crowns at his feet and they're on their face. You are worthy to receive honor and glory and power. For you have redeemed us. Notice the word workmanship. Poema means that which has been made, as I said earlier. We get our word um, poem from it. And... Um, A poem has a designer by virtue of design and structure. A poem has a message to communicate. We are his poem to the world. There's a designer that is working in us and through us to communicate something very clear to this lost world and to those around us. We are the product of God's work of salvation, even as clay in the hands of a potter. And if we yield, God will mold and shape us into his image. Altogether. Any illustration will break down if you push it too far. Um, Clay is an inanimate object that has no will in itself. But is used... That's an illustration that if that clay has too many lumps, it's not workable, then it's tossed aside. But one that's pliable and and on the wheel, then, then it can be molded and shaped. We are to live confidently assured that we are the product of God in his work of salvation. Having been born again, as God has given us the authority, as many as believed in him, John 1, 12. Being born again in John 3, 3 through 5, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. That was just born of flesh is flesh, that was just born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you, must be born again. The wind blows where, where it whistles, or whistles, or whistles, it depends on the translation you have or the way it goes. But you don't know where it comes. So you can't see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. If the wind is blowing from the north to the south, you know only because the, the trees are bending from the north to the south, not because you see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. And people don't see God, but they see the effects of God in you. What it is doing to your life and my life. Having responded to the gospel in faith, as Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's why the most important thing, ladies and gentlemen, today is that people, pastors, preach the gospel from the pulpits of America. To give people hope, the only hope. Knowing I am one of his own Special people called out of darkness into his marvelous light, as First Peter two nine says. Transfer translated immediately. We are to understand that we are not our own, but again God's possession. Knowing our body is the temple of God, First Corinthians six nineteen. Prior to being in Christ, we did as we will. We abuse this body. We use this body. We we just figured it was our own. That's what drives many women today regarding um, their promiscuousness as, and their uh, freedom to kill babies in the womb. They believe it's their body; they can do as they will, and that's the sinful nature. It just runs its course if there's no bridle on it. You know, when you have the reins of a horse, you can hold them back. But if you just let them go, that sucker will take off. That's in nature. Growing, developing, and maturing spiritually as a newborn babe. First Peter 2, 1 through 3 there. Desiring the sincere milk or unadulterated milk of the word growing thereby. If you have tasted, the Lord is gracious and good. Baby tastes milk. Boy, he wants some more. He looks like a little baby bird just looking for that bottle. We have to understand that we're not our own, but God's possession constantly, depending on Jesus for everything. And it sounds cliche and we can use it like that, but it shouldn't be. That means that I, I depend on him for everything, for wisdom, for knowledge, for directions, for, Lord, just give me wisdom, Lord, my children, my son, my daughter, Lord, things are coming up, we've got to make these decisions, Lord, what do we do, direct me, spend time in the word, prayer, and, and, you know, all of that, everything, every day of your life, one day at a time, one week, one month, one year at a time, one decade. In Second Peter, three seventeen through eighteen, it says, "You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away from the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen." What a good pastor Peter is! Warning, admonishing. Philippians 1.13-14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing forward, reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the pride for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The key is the beginning. Forgetting those things that are behind that has to be constant. The past can ensnare us, can entrap us, can cause us to spit in God's face for what he's doing, what he's done, and what he wants to do. I am an instrument that is to bring glory to God. Or let's put it as a question, am I an instrument that brings glory to God. First in our body and spirit, 1 Corinthians 6:20. In our service, 1 Peter 4:11. In our sufferings, 1 Peter 4:14-15, 4, 19, and others. Many of the saints of past have done exactly this. Our Lord did it. We have a rich history. We're wealthy in Christ. Presenting my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my reasonable service. To prove what is that good, except on the perfect will of God. Romans twelve one and two. That's a daily a daily thing. The minute I get up, the minute you get up, you go Lord, okay, here we go. Go before me. Lord speaking to my heart, let me yield to you, let me seek you. And that's why Paul could say, I am what I am by the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15.10. It wasn't an excuse for his carnality. People use that today. Well, I am what I am by the grace of God. And they don't blame God for your carnality. Paul is using it in the positive. I am like Christ, due to Christ. By his grace. I make advances. By His grace, I can deny myself. By His grace, I can hear His voice. By His grace, I can yield to Him. The product of salvation is of God. Him alone. Notice secondly comes the purpose of salvation in the middle. The apostle depicted the person through whom we are enabled to be God's workmanship. We can't get away from it. We've seen how many times different phrases already in chapter 1. Here we go. Created in Christ Jesus. The phrase does not refer to the initial event of salvation, but rather the creative work of God from beginning to end that took place in our union with Christ. The word created means to make habitable. The idea is of mean change or transformation. It appears three times more in the letter here regarding the new creation of Christ. Uh, the next one is in chapter 2 verse 15. It says this having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The one new man is Jew and Gentile one in the union of Christ Jesus, a new creation. No Jew, Scythian, barbarian, male, females, whatever, one in Christ Jesus. Next time, it's in chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created, there it is, all things through Jesus Christ. He is the active force in every believer. He is the one responsible for this created aspect The last one is Ephesians 4.24. It says, And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So in other words, being born again, now I have the capacity and so do you to be able to manifest true righteousness and holiness. Before I manifested self-righteousness and unholiness. Okay, now you and I have the potential to please God in these areas, to bring it forth. It is His doing. We are the instruments. We see it manifested in us and through us, but it is He who is doing this as we yield to Him. Now this refers back to the workmanship, the new creation. Before Christ, you and I were dead and trespassed and sins. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 1. Before Christ, we were not in union with God or Christ, but the prince and the power of the air. We were sons of disobedience in chapter 2, verse 2. And before Christ, we were giving ourselves over to the lust of our sin nature, our thoughts, and our emotions, being children of wrath by nature. Whatever we thought, whatever we felt like, we gave ourselves over to that to, to accomplish that gratification, satisfaction, or accomplishment. We just... Ran that way. See the believer has been made a vessel habitable for God to work in and through Christ after salvation by the resurrected power that they mentioned in chapter one verse nineteen and twenty. This is his prayer that you might know the power that works in you. Chapter three verse twenty unto him was able to exceedingly abundantly above. All that you can ask or think. He can't get enough adjectives in there. It's in Christ. Again, the phrase in Christ Jesus once again states the only person by which God the Father is accomplishing this work because God in this section is the Father distinct from Christ Jesus. Two persons. Christ Christos, the Messiah, the Anointed, indicating his deity, as we've seen often. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, God. Jesus, Yahweh of salvation, indicating his humanity. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and would beheld held as glory. as is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 5 on down. He says, being in the form of God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he took on the form of a servant and he emptied himself of his glory, not his deity. And for this reason... As he humbled himself, obedient to the cross, a name has been given to him above every other name that at the name of Jesus every he should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No one else. There is no room for anyone else. The God-man, the meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, First Timothy 2.5. Aren't you glad that God and the Father made a way? <laughs> And he made it so clear that you cannot get confused about it. There's no gray area or if or but. Well, maybe there's someone else. No, no, it's just one. No one else. Notice the apostle declared the workmanship is enabled to be in the service of God. He says, for good works. We can't even boast of that. I think of um, of a pastor who's called, like myself or anyone else. What man in his right mind, who would be so arrogantly self confident in their proficiency to say, "Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be able to deliver." For the next 40, 50 years. Sermons. All different. On Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek. And whatever for the rest of my life. Who would would be so arrogant to believe that they were capable of doing that in their own person? (laughs) You got to be crazy. The first one that knows in the church that it's all God is me. Every time I get behind this pulpit. Because no man can do this stuff. If we yield to the Lord, He uses us. But it's always God who gets the glory. Not any man. And at times people can get very confident and very comfortable and pretty soon they just, you know, start adding little things and they just think that, you know, and they start losing the respect for God. There's no reverence for God or the people that come and, and what God is doing. But it's almost like a, a, a show, a, a big display. Look at all the people that come and hear me all the time. Wow. So I start being funny and even... Um, lazy and studying it's like comedians you know comedians work hard to get accepted and to be top comedians and once they make comedians they can say anything and everybody's just laughing put up with their rudeness right what's no different with pastors or anybody else when you get self-confident and you think that it's because you're so good it's crazy He enables us for service. These works are not human, natural works. There are many who do so many good works from the human race um, who are not Christians. We read about them, we hear about them. Some do good works because they have both the financial resources and the connections in abundance out of a sense of social responsibility due to having so much, and that's commendable. The works are good, people benefit from them, and they just have this sense of duty That that's good. But those are natural works. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Some do good works, uh, or others do good works, um, simply because they can be seen as benevolent by people and they get a tax write-off. And they create different Funds and different agencies and different causes, and they rally up for money, and you know, and they can raise money and um, they get the credit. But whatever the motive or reason, these are done by sinful, fallen men and women who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Though they may be commendable to humanity at large. This is not what Paul is talking about. These works mean salvation has as one of its purposes good works. Not the only one, but, but this is one of them. The word good, agathos, we've touched it before in other studies. It means good in constitution or nature. Um, Excellent, honorable, but the result is that of the new nature in Christ Jesus. This is the source. These are the results of that new nature. The word appears three other times in the letter here of Ephesians. In chapter 4, verse 28, it says, "...let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands... Uh, what is good, there it is, agathos, good in, in nature, intrinsically, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, he's talking to Christians, he who stole, steal no longer. Now, he might have worked before, but now as a Christian, he identifies God's hand upon him, and he says, working with his hands, what is good. Because now that you're a Christian, as you work physically, your motive and your dependency on God to be that example and to give the best eight, ten hours or whatever it may be, is is dependent upon God. And he's using that work as works that he will use to minister to others. In chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good there it is again for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So our speech. You don't talk like a sailor, like Hillary. You you don't talk the way you used to. You you clean up your mouth. So many people have a potty mouth. You know what I mean, just but that's the way the world is. That's just the way it is. And um, and here again, he's talking to believers, and he says, "Let no corrupt communication," because they still can stop stealing, steal no longer, because they still have the capacity, right? So he, he doesn't say, "Well, you guys are Christians; you don't have to worry about speaking evil or or or, or stealing or anything like that." No, no, no. You're, that 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 doesn't go with Christians, really. Read the, read the epistles, the letters, please, as he writes and what he says and what he warns and what he exhorts Christians to stop doing. When he says stop doing, that means they were doing it. The last one is in chapter 6, verse 8. It says, knowing that whether whatever good, there it is again, anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. So whatever is done, yielding to the Lord through the work of the Spirit, God's work, God takes note of that. God doesn't miss anything. The good works acknowledged by God are those that come forth from our lives as we yield to Jesus to live in us, through us. To others you don 't want to be a dead sea, you want to be a sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee takes water in and it gives it out. The Dead Sea just takes water in and it's stagnant. It gives nothing out as we deny ourselves. And pick up our cross daily and follow him. Luke 9.23 tells us that's a call to salvation. And an ongoing daily process of walking that way. So that Christ can live in us and through us. In Ephesians 4.21-24. It says, as we reckon the old man dead here and put on the new man, it says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, speaking of Christ, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on. It's like putting off a shirt that's dirty and putting on a new one. You do that. I do that as I yield to God. God doesn't say, put this thing on. You know, you're Somewhere with your kids when they're little and it's cold, you're going home and they don't want to put their kid, put your jacket on. You know, you, God doesn't force you to put the jacket, he butts in it up and says, don't, don't unbutton it. He, he just doesn't do that. We, as we yield to him, do that. And when we do that, we can't boast. It's because he enabled us, right? But we're not robots. Colossians 3, 9, and 10 says, As we live in the potential of the new nature, he says, Do not live or do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who was renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The workmanship created in Christ Jesus. John the Baptist says, I must decrease, he must increase. being transformed from glory to glory from the image of Jesus Christ who's the Spirit of God. The good works are simply becoming more like Jesus. More kind, compassionate, patient, meek, loving, forgiving. Keep your list going. None of us ever reach perfection here. We're always under construction. In other words, God has not saved us just to keep us from hell. And just to wait for his coming. Being idle. But rather to be Christ-like. That our message and lives be one. As people see us. And people hear us. These works are evidence of being saved and the nature of the new life. Faith after salvation produces good works. The purpose of salvation is more than just um, to be saved. Even as education has a greater purpose than just knowledge. Education has a purpose of preparing you for life that you may impart and help others and that others don't have to help you and, and and you depend upon them and it's the same in Christ to help others the first thing to do is to make sure that we are available to God availability again God is not looking for ability If he was looking for ability, he wouldn't have called you or me. He's got angels that can do things for him unto perfection. (laughs) Unto perfection. Many say they want to be used by God, but they just come in and go out of the church. They never get involved in ministry. Kind of like the in and out. You know, they don't even want to get out. They just drive through. Some people are not really willing to be used by God. But they want to use the people of God. They come in to see what you can do for them. And we're aware of that. And we should be mature enough to understand that. James and Paul are not in contradiction. We've talked about Paul Speaking in Romans about works prior to salvation. We touched that on verse 8 and 9. But now Paul is dealing with works after salvation. Listen to James. James 2.14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Just faith alone to say that I have faith but no works? No. It's a rhetorical question. One answer, no. James 2.17, that's also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 2.18, so someone will say, you have faith, I have works. In other words, that's your gift, your, work is, your, 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 your gift is works and my, work, my gift is faith. No, 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 he says, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. People sometimes try to be spiritually clever. Verse 20 of James 2 says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? He says it again. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also, James 2.26. And then in chapter 3, verse 13, James says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom see you have to depend upon the lord for that you don't have it in yourself nor do i the believer is instructed many things regarding works let me give you some luke 19:13 says we are exhorted and commanded by our lord to occupy till he comes to be about his business, kingdom business, the gospel business, pulling people out of the fire, ministering, praying, making ourselves available. Paul told the Galatians, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love, Galatians 5.16. The motive of all this is love for God first and love for sinners, right? Love for God first, the vertical, love for sinners. We're to be careful to maintain good works, Titus 3, eight says. We are to be aware that it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. But all of these are a result of being in Christ. Not just born again, but yielding to him. Pressing towards that mark. So, the purpose of salvation is the good work, good works of God. This is the purpose that he focuses on. It's only one, but in the context here, this is the purpose. Notice, thirdly, we have the process of salvation at the end of verse 10. The Apostle Paul declared. God has prepared works for the believer. Listen to his words. God has prepared beforehand. This confirms that God is responsible for the good works just mentioned. This is what is called a relative clause, which concludes the verse, underlining the importance and the divine origin of the good works. Some teach that the verse teaches that God is preparing the believer beforehand for these good works. Most teach the text says God is preparing the good works for the believer. The grammar indicates this. He's preparing the works for me. In this context, that is was its teaching. We can look at other texts and God prepares us. Here he's preparing the works for us. The phrase prepare beforehand, Proitzomai, simply means to make ready prior or in advance. The word appears only one of the time in the New Testament. It is in Romans nine twenty three. For the believer's works in service to God. Listen. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. So he's talking about a believer in service to God. Okay. Many times Calvinists use Romans 8 and 9 uh, for salvation. He's talking about service. Service we predestined for service, for yielding them to be used of him. The problem we have in trying to understand the exact manner of these works in advance before walking in them is because of our human limitation. We should note that the word used here is not predestination as we had in chapter 1. Nor does the word mean ordained, as translated by the old King James, nor foreordained. It simply means prepared beforehand or in advance. We should understand then that these works prepared in advance are not to be thought of as Greek determinism. That all actions and reactions are written in stone, that every work must and will take place because nothing can stop them. It's kind of like, you know, if have ever saw some of the Greek mythological movies of their gods. You know, the dice of gods are loaded. You can't win, right? And the gods are more corrupt than the people, more perverted. See, this would make the believer a robot having no free will as a self determined being. Now, Calvinists have a big problem with free will. But God doesn't. He told Adam and Eve, there's this tree, there's that tree. I don't want you to touch this one. This one you can have all you want. Make a choice. Now you've got one of two things you can believe. Either that Adam and Eve actually decided to take the wrong tree? Or did God predetermine for them to make the wrong decision and he was playing games with them? <laughs> for me, it's easy. The fall was attributed to Adam, not to God. If you make God decree the fall, you make God responsible for the sin of the world. That's a pretty heavy charge. Now, prophecy is different. What God has revealed is is going to happen and will take place such as the first coming, the second coming. Nothing can stop that. Events. But in the fulfillment of those events, people are involved. But People are not predestined to do good or evil. Because if people are predestined to do evil, then how can God judge them in the white throne judgment? If he's the one that made them do the evil. And if God forced people to do good, then God would be fooling himself to reward those who did the good. Right? So you got to think it through. I mean, God's given us a brain. Let's not put it in our back pocket and sit down. A simple observation in our lives will illustrate my point. Each of us have disobeyed God at different points in our lives. When uh, he wanted to work in us and through us. And we did not yield or just plainly disobeyed. So even though Paul says here that they are prepared in advance, we have not always walked in all of them, have we? See, if God has a work for you, let's say, as a call to ministry, and you don't obey God, God will get somebody else to fulfill it. No big deal. God's going to say, oh, doggone it, is supposed to do that. No. The purpose of God cannot be thwarted. Whether it's you or somebody else, God's going to get it done, right? So when Paul is talking in advance and we want my walk in them, it doesn't mean that we will walk every time 100%. I wish I could tell you that We can, but we can't. And I don't think you have, and I certainly have not. (laughs) Notice the apostle Paul declared, a believer is to align himself then with God for these works, that we should walk in them. Paul is saying, knowing God has many things he wants to do through our life, then as believers, we are to seek the will of God in and through prayer. People who are lost in sin, that they will come in contact with us and us with them. That we be praying, Lord, use me. We bump into them every day. Some of them are relatives. Some of them are friends. Some co-workers. Some in the grocery store that God will very clearly be opening doors to share by their questions or whatever. Placing places that we will go to. How God would want to use us for the kingdom. You go to different places and God opens certain doors. Personal ministry in the church body, the particular church that you might attend as you seek the Lord. Your gifts, your calling, as well as the perfect timing for it. There's a timing for it. It says, Well, when the fullness of time had come, God sent for this son right on time. The first coming was right on time. The second coming will be right on time. The Antichrist will be right on time. The attack of Russia and Israel will be right on time. The building of the temple will be right on time. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey right on time. They crucified Jesus right on time. He rose from the dead right on time. He left the earth and ascended up 50 days right on time. 40 plus 10, then... Pouring out right on time. Everything. The word "walk" means to make one's way. An error is active, a habitual habit. This is to be my habitual habit, as from the day I'm born again, to be seeking God, to be used of Him, from day to day. The doors, the the directions, the guidance, the checks, the listen to his voice, the doors that he opens up. It implies progress. It implies making use of the opportunity. Do business till I come. Knowing the the day is far spent and the light's at hand. The night's far spent, the day's at hand. Knowing the day is evil, we are to redeem the time, he'll tell us in Ephesians as we move on. Paul is saying, as believers, we should walk in them. It is our obligation. And what a great privilege that obligation is. We are the product of God. We're the possession of God. We are the instruments of God. Notice, Paul is implying that the present works we walk in are a foundation and are used to prepare us for the future works. To teach me, to humble me, to strengthen me, to refine me, to tune my ear, to guide me. The past helps me in that. The present helps me in that. And it leads me into the future works. The reason being that many of these works are in fact some of the spiritual blessings that he will bless us with in chapter 1, verse 3. Part of our wealth in Christ, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, chapter 2, verse 7 says, Think of the life of Joseph, Moses, and Daniel. They're a good illustration of good works God had prepared in advance that they should walk in them. Joseph had a very difficult life. God prepared the works. Are all of them God's works? I'm not sure. But we know the ones that he was told about and God was in them, right? Moses. Egypt. And fleeing. Going back. The exodus. The party of the Red Sea. Forty years in the wilderness. Daniel. He made a commitment not to defile himself with the king's meat. God promoted him. Difficult life accusations, attempts to kill him. Having walked with God for 42 years, I can clearly look back and see the many things God had prepared for me to walk in. But back then, it was one step at a time. By staying in the Word and prayer, and serving in the church. Going forward, I didn't—I didn't know exactly what all God had. I had no idea. Looking back, very clear. I can see it. Hindsight's always twenty-twenty. Coming to Christ through an eye accident, I see God's hand completely in it, leading me and bringing my wife to me. I see God's hand completely in it. Putting me in the ministry. I see clearly God's hand in it. Directing me to various studies, like the study of Highland Park that turned into a Calvary Chapel. It started in 1977 and turned it over to somebody else. Calling me out to Alhambra to start a Bible study nineteen eighty and that turned into the church that is here today. Long time. The various places we had to rent for six and a half years in Alhambra. The YMCA the office we had on Stoneman, and then later on in Garfield, the Women's Club, the Masonic Lodge, the Seventh day Adventist Church church at Rosemead, the cockroach-infested theater. Then God brought us here to Pasadena. Clearly. But we didn't know any of that. We just, one day at a time, one Sunday at a time, one month at a time, one year at a time. God is so good. I'm 65. I'm excited looking to see what else God is going to do. And I want to let the works that God has done in the past and he's doing in the present to be the foundation for what he's going to be doing in the future. To lead us, to guide us, that we be sensitive to him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says this. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The context of that verse is for here and now. Majority of people quote it for heaven. That's completely out of context. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. The things God has prepared for those who love him here and now on earth. You're not going to have to worry about the things God has prepared for you in heaven. <laughs> if we're here and now, the people I came in contact, the people that came to the Lord through our Kung Fu studio, and the students, and the parks, and the prisons, and, and the mission fields, and the different countries, and everything else, Clearly, you see God's hand, and he took care of everything. But we, just one step at a time, we couldn't see it. God has used the past good works for the present good works that will lead us to the future good works. God will use every situation and circumstance of your life and mine for good works. This week, sit by yourself and um, write down the good works that you have walked in for the number of years that God has saved you. Write them down. Remember them. And then, on another piece of paper, write down the good works you have not run and sought after. The ones you have run from. And ask God to forgive you and begin to walk in them. Philippians three thirteen and 14. I know I've given it to you, but I'm going to give it to you again. Listen carefully. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. One thing I do, here it is, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There it is forward, never backwards, forward, never standing still, forward. The process of salvation is to walk in the good works of God. Paul has declared that the gift of salvation is the mere beginning of the work of God in salvation. And it continues through life and not an end in itself. Characterized by the product of salvation is of God. The purpose of salvation is the good works of God. And the process of salvation is to walk in the good works of God. It's all him. It's all about him. Nothing else. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We worship you. We thank you. Lord, we pray you continue to deal with our hearts, and we thank you for your word. I pray for everybody here, myself, Lord, that we would continue to yield to you and seek you. We pray as a church that you would guide us, that we would not look to ourselves or think we've arrived or think that we have enough experience to make our decisions ourselves, Lord. But we pray we would look to you always, Lord, and follow your lead. Father, we do thank you. We love you, Lord. As you're praying, if um, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Or maybe you're over the Internet and you don't know Jesus Christ. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, then the Bible says... You can call upon Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sins because you believe the gospel about Jesus Christ. And then God's love can be imparted to you and you can receive the benefit of His love. But until you repent, God cannot bestow you with the benefit of His love because He's holy and you're sinful. And so that obstacle must be removed and it's removed in Jesus Christ, no one else. If you desire to be born again, right where you sit, this is your prayer to the Lord. And if you mean it, he will save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.